And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. We are live if you're listening on the Athletic app. Uh, if not, we've been doing some of these live podcasts where you can jump in the chat and ask questions. And so if you're listening after the fact, know that we are we're doing this after games, trying out this format. I think Joe and I will, will do this at some point this year once he's back. But my name is Matthew Fairburn, filling in for Joe Biscalia here on the Buffalo Beat, recapping the Bills' dominant win over the Washington Commanders, but probably just as much looking ahead to a huge Week 4 matchup against the Miami Dolphins, who put up 70 points against the Denver Broncos on Sunday. But I have to say, if ever the Bills could be ready for a game like this, it feels like they are after the way the defense played against the Washington Commanders. 37-3, to the Bills have now allowed just 29 points on defense in three games this season. Sean McDermott taking over as the defensive play caller is turning out to be, so far, a really good thing for the Buffalo Bills defense. They had nine sacks against Sam Howell. They had just really not much trouble containing that offense. There were a few drives that looked like they may end up in, you know, in dangerous areas. And they had a goal line stand at one point, led by Ed Oliver and Terrell Bernard. They had the first drive of the game where Ed Oliver got the huge sack. Terrell Bernard got a sack on the next play. Terrell Bernard got an interception on the next play. Bernard had seven tackles, two sacks, an interception, and a fumble recovery. I remember we were sitting here last week and people were at, we got a question about Christian Kirksey and whether he would be, you know, at some point in the mix to play. And Kirksey retired last week and Bernard went out and had that game. So that question is uh, as far from a, a worry at this point as it could be. So. Just a, an incredible day from Bernard, but really all around on the defense. I, I, I thought Ed, Ed Oliver played one of his best games uh, and, you know, still didn't lead the team in sacks. Bernard had two sacks. Leonard Floyd had two sacks. Ed Oliver had a sack and a half. Daquan Jones had a sack and a half. They were all over. I, I had in my story after the game that Sam Howell was under pressure on 46% of his dropbacks and the bills only blitzed on 12 and a half percent of his dropbacks. So with four linemen, they were getting home, which I think is a big deal. You know, that's the way Sean McDermott 
wants his defense to play. And when you're going up against a team that just scored 70 points, I think that's exactly what you're hoping for, is that your defense is going to be in this type of shape heading into that that matchup. So we'll get this going and start taking your questions. But I was just struck by the Bills looking like they have one of the best defenses in football. But now you get to see what that translates to. Do they have a defense that can dominate bad quarterbacks, dominate average quarterbacks, limit some good quarterbacks? Or do they have a defense that can truly match up against some of the best teams in the NFL? That's what really matters when it comes down to it. How does this defense play against Kansas City, against Miami, against Cincinnati if Joe Burrow can get healthy in those important matchups? And we got our first hint of it this weekend. So feel free to drop your questions in the comments. We'll get to as many as we can here. Uh, the Bills are scheduled to have some press conferences at 4 o'clock, so that'll be, that'll be my out. But happy to get to as many questions as you guys have. We'll start with Lanny, who asks, is Trey White back? We're going to find out on Sunday, but he that play he made on the interception, that was an incredible play. Uh, you know, the, the change of direction and the, the adjustment in the air, that was old Tredavious White, the ball skills. It was a bit of a, a little bit of a gift of a throw. Um, you know, Tredavious White had the leverage. A lot of quarterbacks don't even make that throw, but Howell thought he could fit it in there. But I like the play on the ball. It's a gift because of the player that Tredavious White is. And Howell never should have attempted it. But I think we're going to find out just how back Tredavious White is when he goes up against Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell, assuming he's back. That's when you get uh, a little bit of, you know, a test for Tredavious White. But he definitely looks a lot more like his old self. And that's a great sign for the Bills. Anonymous says he thinks the Bills or the Dolphins got lucky. Uh, I don't know about that. 70 points, it's hard to get lucky scoring 70 points. You got to be pretty, you got to be really lucky to get 70 points. Now, that said, are they going to score 70 every week? Are they as good as 70 against the Broncos? Probably not. You know, the Broncos aren't the greatest team, but hey, 70 points, 726 yards offense is a little bit more than luck. How are the Bills going to cover all of this motion and the speed mismatch between our DBs and their running backs and receivers, Mark asks. This, to me, is probably the story of the week in the NFL. Across the league, this is game of the week type material, and I think two of the better teams in the league. And it's it's one of the games for the Bills, as Mark points out, that will test areas where I don't I don't want to say areas that they're weak, but areas where they may have some questions about how they'll hold up throughout the season. And I think the number one thing is speed in the secondary. You have two safeties who are still playing effectively, but certainly are not in the prime of their careers. And so as age continues to creep in and they they lose some of their top end speed, will that impact them against an offense as fast as the Miami Dolphins offense is? This is a a unique offense. And I use the word unique means one of one, right? It means there is one like this and there's nobody as fast as these guys. And 
not only with their pure speed, but the way they motion, the amount of movement, the amount of different ways they can get you uh, with, you know, the running backs, the receivers. This is a tough test. So if the Bills aren't fast enough to handle these guys, that doesn't necessarily mean they're not fast enough to handle other great offenses. That said, this feels like a big time game for Sean McDermott, the defensive coordinator, the defensive play caller, the guy scheming things up throughout the week in practice. That's how you combat this in some ways. You have to be the Bills under Sean McDermott this year. And, you know, we'll we'll get into bigger picture because it's always been somewhat Sean McDermott's defense. But differences this year. The aggressiveness is not necessarily in blitzing just yet, but you are seeing how fast they're playing, how decisive they're playing. And one of the big things that they've done over the years is do a really nice job disguising coverage. So if you can play in that quarter scheme that they like to play and make to a hold on to the football a little bit longer than he's comfortable with, that's where I think they could have some success against these guys. You saw what Tua was able to do, you know, we've seen this offense now for a few years. When Tua can get rid of the ball quickly and get the ball to Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell, these guys are yards after the catch machines. And yes, Tua can hit deep throws when he needs to and when they're there, and he can attack all parts of the field. But these guys are absolute yards after the catch monsters. And so that is is a big key is making to a uh, unsure of what he's seeing quickly and having that that tight coverage early in routes the bills have been pretty good you know last year three great games between these two teams you know all decided by a field goal or less bills were two and one in those games Tua played in the two games in the regular season he was 13 for 18 in the first matchup for 186 yards and a touchdown. The Dolphins won that game 21-19. Weird one with the weather and the heat really impacting the Bills. Later in the season, week 15, the Dolphins come up to Buffalo. Tua goes 17 for 30 for 234 yards and two touchdowns. Dolphins lose 32-29. He did not play in the wildcard matchup between these two teams. So it's not as if you sit here and you say, there's no way to slow these guys down. Let's not forget either that just before the 70 point effort, they didn't have things as easy against the new England Patriots. So there is a formula to slow these guys down, but to Mark's point, this is really going to test the speed and the angles of Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. We mentioned Tredavious white and I'll throw in this uh, question that we got here. Could Kyrie Elam be active to counter some of Miami's speed? I do wonder, I, the thought popped into my head last night as I was thinking about this matchup. Do you dress more defensive backs to keep up with what will likely be a bit of a track meet? Look, you're not going to keep these guys off the, the scoreboard the entire game. You're going to let up some big plays. It's going to be a conditioning test as much as anything else, as much as a speed test is just dealing with all the motion and all these you know, different playmakers that they can get the ball to. So I do think there is a 
probably a temptation to get an extra talented defensive back like Elam out on the field and have more options when you're on defense. But we'll see what they choose to do because they, they haven't trusted him to play yet, but they also haven't had a matchup like this one with this many receivers and running backs and, and pass catchers that they need to be mindful of. Kyle asks, what's your take on how Spencer Brown played yesterday? Two straight games where I feel like Spencer Brown has been much more in control. The offensive line as a whole has been much more in control. And that is a huge, huge positive sign for this team because you could take a lot away from what the offense did against Washington and, you know, the Vegas Raiders for that matter, in terms of having balance and playing a lot more in control. It started with Josh Allen. He had one interception against Washington, but it was a third and very long, and it was essentially give the receiver a chance, and if it's picked off, it's basically a punt. And you don't want to excuse away all interceptions that way, but that one truly was a situation where it may as well have been a punt. And other than that, he was very much in control while also not losing what makes him that playmaker, that guy who can extend plays and push the ball downfield. The big play was back in this offense. By the middle of the third quarter against Washington, they had as many plays of 20-plus yards as they had in the previous two games combined. So they are making big plays. And I think a big reason why is because of the way the offensive line is holding up. And Josh Allen plays a big part in that. I thought that Monday night game against the Jets Josh Allen needed to get the ball out quicker. He needed to not drop his eyes and look for running lanes. And I think you're seeing quarterback and blocking work together a lot better. And I'm starting to see a little bit of confidence growing for Spencer Brown. You know, this is a guy that he says he blocks out all the noise and all the criticism, but he was getting a lot of heat. And not only getting a lot of heat, but from the outside, but I'm sure was watching the tape and wasn't super thrilled with what he was seeing. And you put together a few games like this against Max Crosby, against, you know, that defensive line in Washington, all the talented players they have, you start to have a little bit of a little bit of belief. And that's a good thing. He he hasn't been perfect the last two weeks, but he's been so much better than he was on Monday night. And, you know, he's such a talented player. Guys really like playing with him. So I think these two games were as important for him as almost anybody you know everybody wanted to see Josh Allen get back on track but it was almost inevitable that he would because he's just that type of player to see Spencer Brown rebound from that Monday night game has been encouraging and now he has to show that he can be consistent that's always been the challenge with with a player so talented but I think it's a it's definitely you know a positive sign from the last few weeks looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We have a question about why on fourth and half a yard did the Bills throw the ball? Why not sneak Allen? Does this speak to a larger problem with Dorsey's play calling? This is a concern that's popped up, and, and it's one that I've wondered about. They, they've done it a few weeks in a row. They seem a bit reluctant to lean on the quarterback sneak early. But probably more alarming than that to me is you have Latavius Murray. You have Damian Harris. You have multiple tight ends. You know, you have three tight ends you could throw out there if you wanted to. Spreading the field on fourth and one from the, sh- the shotgun like they did, you know, at the goal line uh, against the Raiders or, or like they were doing in some of these short yarded situations. It, it feels like they're overthinking it. it. And it feels like they are. It feels like they're doing everything they can to try to avoid what is their one of the most effective high percentage plays in their playbook is the the quarterback sneak with Josh Allen. You can uh, find last week, Tim and I, Tim Graham and I wrote at the athletic about Josh Allen and short yardage and how good he is there and why the bills have kind of gone away from it. So we got a little bit deeper into there, but understandably something that people should be frustrated about. But at the same time, I think Ken Dorsey has gotten the offense a little bit back on the rails the last few weeks, deserves some credit for that. Again, though, kind of like the defense where you're looking to see it in those games that are a bit more high stress, right? Washington, Vegas, games that the Bills should win and the offense looks really good. Now let's see it in when they're chasing points maybe against the Dolphins or when they're up against another really good defense. And that's why I say it's understandable and fair for anybody to be concerned about Ken Dorsey's calls in certain high leverage situations, because we know very much, Bills fans know all too well over the last few years years that these games, especially in the playoffs and at the end of the season, are going to be won by the slimmest of margins, by the, the little decisions. And so I guess you hope that they're getting it out of their system here early. How does Buffalo handle Miami's team of track stars? Can you scheme for the pace of Tyreek Hill? I think you can. I mean, he's not going for 150 yards every week. He's going for close. If Waddle's healthy, it becomes even more difficult. But I think the big thing is keeping them in front of you to the extent that it's possible, not letting them get behind you. That's the way New England has handled this offense fairly well. Uh, over the last few years it's the way the bills have handled it somewhat well but you're not going to have the easiest time doing that if you can't stop the run so that is where the bills need to be on the mark you know they've gotten the run defense back on track a little bit brian robinson had 10 carries for 70 yards yesterday gibson had two carries for 17 yards so They got some chunk runs, and the turnovers really made it an easy day for Buffalo's defense. So you need to be able to slow down 
what Miami can do in the running game because then it becomes easier to key in on keeping those receivers in front of you and and you got to tackle. You absolutely have to be able to tackle in this game and that is a simple yet difficult thing to to underscore, right? You can it's easy to say, you know, that they need to tackle, but tackling those guys is so hard. They're so good after the catch and I have no doubt that if there's somebody who can you know, this is part of why I think Sean McDermott took over defensive play calls to have control in situations like this, in matchups like this, to be able to say, I'm going to be part of the reason, you know, I'm going to have my hands on the game plan and my hands on the pulse of the game to make sure we do what we need to do against the league's best offenses. He's been bullying some some bad quarterbacks and some bad offenses the first three weeks of the season. Shouldn't say bad offense. Washington is a is a decent offense that's put up some points against teams, but that's an inexperienced quarterback against the Jets. It's just one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. And Zach Wilson, uh, the Raiders, Garoppolo has not looked great uh, to start this season. This is a great test for Sean McDermott, the defensive play caller. And I'm excited to see it because you have, you have these guys that are sort of very different personalities too, like Sean McDermott and and Mike McDaniel, both incredibly high level thinkers at what they do in terms of game planning and scheming and, you know, figuring out the trends of football on their side of the ball. But then you've also got this kind of quirky, uh Ashok's nerdy type of you know coach in Miami who's just kind of got a quirky personality and you've got Sean McDermott the the steely-eyed ex-wrestler uh it's just a very much different vibe with each of these teams and it makes the matchup a little bit you know more interesting when it feels like McDermott versus McDaniel is going to be a big part of what decides this one Matt mentions that he thinks Leonard Floyd and Terrell Bernard are easily the best additions for the defense. Leonard Floyd has been excellent for the Bills, and I think it's it's tough to understate how important he's been to the pass rush because you have, without Von Miller, and without if they didn't have Leonard Floyd, would this look a lot different from a pass rushing standpoint? And there's a case to be made that it it certainly would. I mean, he's Leonard Floyd's the one who knocked Aaron Rodgers out of the game uh, against the Jets. He had a couple of sacks yesterday, even though he was on the injury report throughout the week. This is a huge luxury for the Bills to be able to give Von Miller the necessary time to not rush back, not feel like he needs to be back week one, week five, week six. You know, whenever he gets back, he gets back, but they can focus on keeping him fresh and healthy for the entirety of the season because they have plenty of options. I think seven different defensive linemen had a pressure against Washington. I mean, that is exactly how you draw it up if you're Sean McDermott. He loves to rotate those defensive linemen, and he loves to get pressure with with just four rushers. So, yes, Leonard Floyd has been huge. Terrell Bernard, arguably an upgrade at this point, right? He's making more of the splash plays Uh, Tim Graham wrote a great Terrell Bernard story after the game, but he's making 
you know, as many splash plays in a game, it seems like, as as Tremaine Edmonds made in some seasons. So as good as Tremaine Edmonds was, they have found a more than suitable replacement. So I, those are two those were two question marks with the defense. How do you replace Von Miller? How do you replace Tremaine Edmonds? Check and check. The third question, that is probably a big one, is how do, is the secondary fast enough? Are those two safeties still at the top of their game or close enough to the top of their game to handle matchups against the best passing offenses in the NFL? They get a chance to check that box on Sunday against this Miami Dolphins team. John mentions that the Dolphins have accumulated more offensive yards this year than the historic 16-0 Patriots did in their first three games. Is it possible that the Bills are up against a history-making opponent this week? It's possible. Um, But I'll say this. 726 yards, I believe it was, 70 points. That's a hell of a game, right? It's a history-making game. you got to play a lot of those games to match historical outputs you got to stay healthy and so we'll see they absolutely have a chance to do it though it's hard to like you it's hard to find another offense like this one with this much speed built the way it's built and with a play caller who's willing to get really creative it's an interesting match and it's why you know, I wrote last night, the division is not won or lost in week four. They play two games against the Dolphins. It's a long season. You're not going to lose the division if you lose to the Dolphins. It doesn't help your case of winning it, but you're not going to lose it. You're not going to win it on Sunday. But it does feel like one of those games where you really, this is a chance for the Bills to announce themselves as one of the best teams in the NFL again. A, a legit Super Bowl contender. I think everybody has them as. Super Bowl contender ish, kind of hanging on the up. You know, this time last year, the Bills were at the top of everybody's power rankings. They were the the favorite Super Bowl pick early in the year. They can get right back into that class with a win against the Dolphins because everybody's going to be watching this game on Sunday. It's not a primetime game, but I don't know about you guys. I'm almost glad it's not a primetime game. Like Sunday, one o'clock, October 1st in Orchard Park. Bills, Dolphins, that's just, uh, that's perfect football. I'm not just saying that because I, I prefer the uh, the earlier evening of work. I, I feel like a lot of people are with me. After all the primetime attention the Bills have gotten over the last few years, it's nice to have that earlier kickoff. And there's there's few things better from a football atmosphere standpoint than a one, one o'clock kickoff in that early fall weather in Orchard Park. It's pretty much pretty much perfect. Brian brings up, Great comment. Death, Taxes, and Blaine Gabbert. If you guys missed it, Dan Pompey, wonderful Blaine Gabbert story on his journey of perseverance as a backup quarterback. Something we, something long-time podcast listeners know a little something about. And yes, he got into the game for the Chiefs, so he's still, still hanging on. The Bills will have another Blaine Gabbert matchup later this year. Christopher says, do you think we will see a lot of James Cook against the Dolphins to control the clock? It's an interesting strategy because the the Bills for so long have been this offense that 
should be able to keep up with anybody, and I think they still can. But there might be some gamesmanship in that regard, where you do want to take the Dolphins' offense out of rhythm if possible. And the Bills, the reason I think you might be right is because the Bills have played this way a little bit already. You know, these the two good games that Josh Allen had, he has not hit 300 yards. And I think they're okay with that. They're okay with letting James Cook, Damian Harris, Latavius Murray chip away at teams in the running game, in the short passing game. So I think he has to be involved in this game. He just ha- he has to be involved most weeks because I think he's become that important of a player to their offense. And the running game has become an important part of what they do. I'm interested in, I'm going to pull up the numbers right now on where the Dolphins are as far as a run defense. And they are, according to True Media, they are last in the NFL in defense rush success percentage. So, yeah, I would say that getting some, uh, getting some James Cook, Latavius Murray, Damian Harris, that's a, that sounds like a pretty good strategy to me. Uh, the Dolphins, by most metrics that you look at, are not the best run defense team. And it's three weeks, it's a short sample. But I'm guessing the Bills are going to look at that and think that they can keep their running game going and keep that balanced approach going. And maybe that keeps Josh Allen within himself. Now, look, they have to be able to pivot. I'm not sitting here saying that the Bills need to be a run-heavy team. They still have one of the best quarterbacks in football, and this could potentially turn into a high-scoring game. If it does, you need to be able to trust your quarterback and let him be who he is. But I don't think it hurts at all to just have a similar balanced approach that they've had the last few, you know, the last few games. It's led to a lot of success, and it helps them wear teams down. I think you're seeing some of James Cook's big big runs are happening at the end of games when they are really wearing defenses down with the bigger backs and with, you know, consistent running. So, yeah, I'm guessing we'll see plenty of James Cook. Let's see what else we got. Do you feel like there's been far more of a concerted effort to manage the clock this year. You know, and th- this ties in. It's a, a a lengthy question, but that's essentially the gist of it. And I think this ties into the approach that we're seeing on offense in general is that they're doing what they need to do to win games and win games handily. Josh Allen making enough of the big plays. Josh Allen, you know, Josh Allen was terrific on third down even though they were in some third longs yesterday he was outstanding i think he had uh five uh first downs on on throws on third down um that doesn't even count you know he had three rushes for 46 yards and got himself out of quite a bit of trouble with those runs one of them went for a touchdown so he has been more in control and because of that i think the bills are controlling the clock a little bit better in these games than they did in week one. And, you know, 
Adam, who who left this comment, brings up, you know, the Brady, Tom Brady Patriots, where they're running the play clock down a little bit more than they used to maybe. And really, they're okay with, with you know, icing the game away that way. And I think especially, look, it's hard to draw big conclusions like that after the Raiders and Washington games where they were up big and they had you know, game script on their side. It's a little bit more challenging to do against Miami, but I do think it, it's factoring into their their overall approach on offense, which is much more about finding ways to have consistent complementary football and finding ways to do what needs to be done each week to win games as opposed to worrying about, you know, being a top five offensive team or, or throwing the ball all over the yard. And I think we know that they can do the passing thing when they need to. We know that they can they can air it out when they absolutely need to. But now they have some different different tricks at their disposal, and it, it's certainly, I think, going to be a benefit uh, in the long run. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. We have a question about Dorian getting Dorian Williams on the field to help against Miami's speed in the running game. You know, a couple schools of thought on this. It's the same, similar conversation as with Kyrie Elam. Is how much do you want to add a wrinkle or change what you're doing, and how much do you want to line up and play your best against their best? They are already fast at linebacker. Bernard and Matt Milano play fast, and they they run fast. You know, they they are quick players instinctually but they're plenty fast so i could see them adding a wrinkle whether it's dorian williams or kair elam or you name it you know getting more speed on the field to go up against this running game but i also hesitate to think that they should change too much of how they play who they play and what they do just for one opponent you sub a player in here or there, you you add a wrinkle or, or have an answer each time you need it, but the Bills' defense has been terrific the last two weeks and is playing fast as a group. They already like, they already play in such a way that makes me think they can handle speed at the first two levels. They are getting pressure on quarterbacks quickly, and the linebackers are their strength right now. They're, those guys are playing incredibly fast. And so I think, I think we'll probably see some sort of wrinkle. I lean maybe a little bit towards Kair Elam to have extra defensive backs, but the Dorian Williams point is an interesting one. I, I, I just think they already have the type of personnel. It's not like they play three linebackers all the time. So they have the type of personnel that, is going to match up against a fast team. They have some of their fastest players on the field most of the time anyways. And I don't know if you need to 
dramatically change what you do just to, you know, give a different look. Because if you throw another linebacker out there, as maybe he clocks a faster 40 yard dash, but maybe he doesn't play as fast because of how the group plays. So we'll see how the week unfolds. Sometimes there's hints of these things uh, at practice. Sometimes there's, you know, hints uh, in a, you know, in conversations and in the locker room or, you know, usually not major hints in a press conference, but sometimes you can, you can catch a glimpse of who's getting extra special teams work, who might be on the field. So we'll see. I think it's something worth keeping an eye on. And again, it's what's, it's what makes this a fascinating matchup because this is just a chance for Sean McDermott to, to flex his defensive scheming and play calling abilities. And if it's adding Dorian Williams or Kai or Ulam or whoever to the, to the fold, then you give it a shot. But I think more so you'll see answers with, with scheme and, you know, putting certain players in certain positions to make to think a little bit longer. I think that's going to be the key. It's why they got so many sacks and turnovers against Washington as they had, Sam Howell hesitating just enough because of their coverage. So much tougher to do against an experienced quarterback like Tua and against tough receivers like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell and the like. But still, it's what you got to do. You know, we got a question of what New England did in the second half of the Sunday night game versus the Dolphins that held them to only seven points. And that's part of it is you keep those guys in front of you, you play physical and you make Tua hang on to the football just long enough. And I I have to take a, a close look at, I started to watch Miami versus Denver and, and all that the offense was able to do, but it was a lot. They were able to do a lot. So I plan to take a much closer look this week and try to, you know, I've been gathering some material on what, what Sean McDermott is like as a, as a defensive play caller and, you know, what wrinkles we might see him bust out because I think this is, is the story of the week. It's the, the grander story of this game is long-term. This is going to be one of those chess matches. It's going to be like Andy Reid versus Sean McDermott. It's going to be one of those, those back and forth that we see. You always want to have an answer for teams in your division. And so I think that's what Sean McDermott is going to have uh, on his plate in this one. And it's going to be what he has on his plate as long as Mike McDaniel and those receivers and, and Tua are with the Dolphins. They, they look like they could be a bit, of a bit of a problem. Joseph mentions, it seems like Dalton Kincaid has gotten quite a few penalties in the last two games. Reason for concern? I don't think so. I mean, you're talking about a rookie who is still figuring things out, particularly as a blocker. I've actually liked his willingness as a blocker and and actually how he has gone about blocking. I think he's been somewhat effective. He had a bit of a, a ticky-tack tripping penalty, just little things that I think he's compensating for the lack of confidence he probably has in that department as he's building up reps, as he's getting, you know, more and more comfortable being in a role where he's got to have his hand in the dirt sometimes. So 
no, I'm not super concerned about Kincaid because, frankly, he's he's there to be a threat in the passing game. Hasn't been a huge one yet, um, but you can see signs of it. And I've seen enough of him as a blocker to not be super worried about penalties here and there. Greg asks, any thoughts on how Hardy has been used? It doesn't seem to be working so far. I think you could say the same thing about Trent Shurfield, and it's partly because the volume for the passing offense has not been quite the same as in years past. A lot of this is going through Stefan Diggs through three weeks. But you also have two tight ends who are getting targets. You have a running back who is a factor in James Cook. So am I overly concerned? No. Is it a disappointment the way he and Sherfield have contributed or not contributed in the first three weeks? I would say yes, but there's still time and we haven't yet seen a real breakout game from the passing offense. We've seen two really rock solid games, but we haven't seen a breakout game. What we are seeing is some Khalil Shakir here and there. and so tells me that Hardy and Sherfield have not cemented themselves in their roles, especially considering Sherfield had two catches for 18 yards. Hardy had two for 15. Their snap counts haven't been super high. So there is, you know, Khalil Shakir only had one catch for five yards, but my point being, he's still on the field. He's still making plays. And so there's a lot of different players involved in this offense, and it's making it hard to say for sure that Hardy and Sherfield have cemented any sort of role because in the targets they've gotten, some of which are manufactured for Hardy, right? Like he's getting these short passes and the yards after catch has not been there. So whatever they're trying to create there for him, you know, isn't resulting in much. And I actually prefer some of the stuff that they've gotten James Cook involved in at times. So We'll see how it plays out in games where they need to lean on the passing offense a little bit more. I'm not I'm not ready to to write those guys off yet, but it hasn't been a super encouraging start. Let's take one more question here. See if I can find a good one. Adam asks how aggressive so we have two Dolphins questions here. How aggressive will McDermott be against those guys? And how much did the weather possibly impact the game that Miami played against Denver? Which is an interesting thought. It probably did impact the game. And Denver also looks quite bad uh, on defense in particular, which is surprising. Um, So how aggressive will Sean McDermott be? Well, let's see. I'm going to pull up, let you guys in on my process when I get a question like this. I'm going to pull up Tua, Tua's game logs here and see how often the Bills blitzed him in the past. So, the Bills blitzed Tua on 42% of his dropbacks in their last matchup. And they won that game. They only got pressure on 
percent of dropbacks, two sacks. So not a glamorous day for the pass rush, but a winning effort, solid performance against Tua. In the first game last year, which was a much more modest day for Tua, but a win for the Dolphins, he was blitzed on 10% of his dropbacks. The only time that Sean McDermott has ever played against Tua and had a number lower than 19% on blitz percentage. So I think there's a chance that we'll see a little bit more of a blitz-heavy approach. If we go to Tua's game logs and we take out Sean McDermott as the coach that he's up against and just go to blitz percentage as a whole to see how effective has that strategy been against him in the past. Let's see what he did against. So this 70 to 20 win against Denver, Denver only blitzed him on about 15% of his dropbacks and only pressured him. Oh, 0% of the time. That's not going to work very often. Point being though, that they didn't blitz him very much, but he had two lousy games and losses in 2022 against the Titans and the Packers, and he was blitzed less than 10% of the time. And like I said, um, in the game that they beat the Bills last year, he was only blitzed 10% of the time. So it's not a perfect formula one way or the other. The danger with blitzing so often is that you end up susceptible to the big play potentially but we've seen the bills take a blitz heavy approach a couple times in the last few years against Tua. so we'll be interested to see with you know if all the receivers are healthy and with the running game if that's an approach they take especially Tua being on the road in buffalo the two highest blitz percentages that the bills have had against Tua both came in buffalo in fact of all of Tua's games, there's three games against Buffalo that are in the top 13 or 14 in terms of how often he was blitzed. So I think that's a, a pretty good thought from Adam here, uh, that maybe this is the time that we see Sean McDermott, the aggressive defensive play caller, because... That was a theme, I think, that a lot of people thought maybe we would see a little bit more of with Sean McDermott. And so far, they haven't needed to blitz very much. So I'm curious to see if that's what they dial up this week against the Dolphins. I'm going to jump on some Bill's press conferences. Appreciate you guys jumping on here really have been enjoying this format for our live episodes of the buffalo beat podcast being able to take your questions right here in the app let me know what you guys are thinking of this find me on twitter at matthew fairburn or, or drop a comment in here about what timing you guys like best for these this one felt like a good good one to do the day after because we'd be doing so much looking ahead but i'm thinking sunday with the one o'clock kick home game maybe we do this on sunday night to break down how it all went but let me know what you guys think thanks for tuning in and i will talk to you guys 
I will plan on Sunday for another edition of this live room. Thanks for, for tuning in. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.